Hello and welcome back folks to episode 6 for reviews from the 405. Do you think we'll ever get to so many numbers that we forget what number we're on? Uh, that's the dream, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I mean, not because we're very sophisticated and uh, organised people, but we just managed to circumvent that. Yeah, just because we get so into it that the numbers don't even matter anymore. It's just, it is what it is. It's another episode. It, we'd have to start doing it regularly for that to happen, because yeah. then you're just numbering the weeks if you keep numbering yeah. them. Numbers, numbers are obviously an entirely arbitrary and immaterial uh, inconsequence anyway. You know what my favourite number is at the moment? What's your favourite number? 2017, because it's brought us so much great music. <laughs> a lot of great music, yeah, I mean, that's a great that's a great segue into... Actually, it's not. Uh, anyway, <laughs> like, uh, this is, uh, I feel like that's just generic podcast, uh, just mentioning segues. Uh, so, uh, how are you, how you doing, Rob? How's Good, that? just got back from Florida. How was that? It was nice, relaxing, hot, humid, but nice. Ate a lot of food, didn't do much else. What have you been up to? Uh, what have I been up to? Did we see LCD? We saw LCD. We saw LCD, yeah. Fuck. That was amazing. That was amazing. Even if we'd managed to lose each other and uh, everyone else. Yeah, well, I think that that would have happened anyway with, you know, with songs like that. And the crowd was up for it Friday night at Ali Pali. Yeah. The place was rocking. Did you have a did you have a particular favorite? Um I really liked um they played a lot from This Is Happening including um You Wanted a Hit early on was really good. Um and then Home was my favorite LCD song and they played that so I was happy but you dance yourself clean like second last song yeah. before uh where uh before what's it called? Lose all my friends. All my friends was amazing so uh, what about you i think it was dance yourself clean just for the bass drop and it was it was also like it was just like like there was this gleeful moment where i you know there's like the the three minute three and a half minute build up towards the the bass drop itself and it's just like between the final synth line and the drop itself just in this snaps millisecond between james murphy just went uh oh, <laughs> it was just it was just like so good, and and everyone lost their shit. It was a really really good crowd actually. Like yeah. Everyone was really up for it without being aggy. Yeah, and uh, we should mention the new song sounded good tonight, especially. Yeah, that was really good. So if you haven't listened to the new LCD album yet, I mean, what are you doing? Yeah, I mean it. It's all as I gave it a nine at the time. It's like creeping up my my. Been list. spinning that vinyl. Yeah, grooves are wearing oh, yeah. thin. Yeah, let me, let me tell you, let you know. Some it's it sounds nice. Okay, I almost bought it actually when I was in Florida, but I opted not to in the end. I don't know why. I just I went for other things. There were so many. That's the problem with walking into a record shop. There's just always so many other things to buy, and uh, it wasn't cheap. But that's shouldn't be an obstacle if I want to support one of my favorite bands. But that's the way it goes. Support your favorite bands. That's that's the that's the takeaway from this podcast. And we've been views from the four or five. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, anyway, let's let's dive let's let's dive straight into some news then. Yeah. Um, starting with the sad news about uh, Tom Petty's death, of uh, was a cardiac arrest. Yeah. Um, Quite surprising. He'd yeah. been playing the Hollywood Bowl, I think, the week before. Mm. Um, it was interesting to be in Florida when this happened because he's a he's a Floridian born in Florida. So um, 
we were listening to the radio and they did like interrupted the song like we interrupt this message this song to bring you the news that tom petty has passed it was quite sad and then we went to a bar and they were playing free fallen um yeah florida was grieving for it's one of its own mm. uh what was the weird thing going on with they thought he was dead no. and then they couldn't announce he was dead and then it was the associated press like someone got a tip off that he'd been taken to hospital in cardiac arrest and he rushed to say that he died from it and yeah. he hadn't they turned there. off life support yeah but and they hadn't confirmed that yet no and it's just that can, can you can you imagine if somehow he'd survived and all that chaos had happened it, it's it doesn't reflect well on the um the trigger happy press really yeah. to, to, to jump on that when there was no actual official confirmation and as soon as one source leaked it they all jumped on it um but and more importantly like in, in that, like a, a fairly traditional time-honoured fashion, I barely knew anything about Tom Petty before his death, apart from how much of a karaoke jam American Girl is, yeah. and how much of a how much of a classic quintessential banger refugee is. Um, yeah. He was a really punk guy, which I didn't know about. No. He was like, like well, he he took what Dylan had, and I think it was in the um, New York Times podcast, one of my favourite music podcasts, which isn't this one. Um, where they they mention uh, about how like he said what Dylan had to say, but said it in two syllable words, which I think is quite is quite a quite a profound look on it. Yeah. Um, I feel it would be disingenuous of me to rave about Petty too much because I've never significantly connected with him. Like I haven't listened to all of his songs. I haven't listened to all of his albums or anything um, beyond this. But I. As, no, but as, I, I would hazard to say that that's the case with a lot of people, at yeah. least in this country, because even the people that I saw posting RIP things on Facebook, they're all posting songs that I knew, which is about five, which is like free falling, yeah. and the ones you mentioned, and that's about it. But they, everyone was posting those ones. But Pitchfork did a day of Tom Petty reviews, mm. so should uh, read those, I guess. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting to go th- through his discography, as like as trivial and artificial as that may sound. There might be, I might. It'll be worth going through and finding those deeper cuts that meant a lot more to the, his bigger fans, I guess. Yeah. Um. Well, moving on to some more, in, well, better news. Um. There's a really, really cool new book coming up called Anthology of Emo. Volume um, one. Volume one. Um. It's from, uh, the like these guys that washed up pop podcast. I've only listened to a few times myself. They they really like big deep dives into the nitty gritty, and um, it can be quite impregnable at times because it is very of a very specific type of music. It is very specific time about second wave emo. So we're talking about uh, maybe like the biggest one would be someone like I don't know the Get Up Kids, the Promise Ring, Dashboard Confessional, American Football, um, Sunny Day Real Estate. These these types of bands are really quite pioneering at the time um, and what it's done is amalgamated all the interviews from the podcast with well, the biggest most fascinating interviews from the podcast itself and it's done verbatim um, for the book which I guess is almost like a emo version of a book we've discussed a few times on this podcast that was released this year meet me in the bathroom yeah so like an oral history mm. um, yeah I, I mean I haven't heard about it until you mention it but it's got 
some people like from bands you mentioned that I like, like Mike Kinsella, who's in uh, American football and was in Cap and Jazz, and Chris Caraba from Dashboard Confessional, who are always unfairly maligned, with mm. it, I think. I mean, some of those songs were absolutely amazing. I mean, they were much cleaner. And then, uh, you know, people from uh, The Get Up Kids, as you mentioned. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited about this book. Put it on my uh, crisp Amazon wish list to send out to my to my gran. <laughs> yeah. See if, she has, see if she has any any traction there. When is it coming out? Is it actually getting I, released in this country? Because it looks like it might be quite a small release. Yeah, I think it'll be quite a small release. I'm happy to import it. Yeah. To be honest. Yeah, it says printed in the USA. Yeah. Um, I, I'm I'm quite I'm happy to spend twenty twenty five quid on this book. Including and Andrew Sacker as well, really good. Really good writer, um, works at Brooklyn Vegan. A really under underappreciated music website, actually. Some of the writing there is really, really yeah, sharp. The thing with Brooklyn Vegan is it was it was big. It was one of the first big blogs that I remember, and I just don't think they've updated their layout for over a decade. Mm. It looks quite dated still this day. I think that goes against them. Yeah, it's not exactly intuitive. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to this. Uh, it comes with rare photographs and printed ephemera. Whatever that, whatever that means. Yeah, we'll find but out maybe. when you get it in your Christmas pack. Yeah, yeah. buy the book now. Uh, final piece of news, well, two combined pieces of news is about some of our favourite bands deciding to call it a day. Yeah. Um, firstly, Wild Beasts, who after five albums have said that they are, you know, wanting to do other things. So they've announced a few final dates in February which I, I bought the gig, uh, ticket to their final gig in London and I hope they play the whole catalogue because I absolutely love Wild Beasts all five of their albums I know um, the last album didn't get as much love as their previous ones but I like it I love it almost as much maybe not quite as much but not much less and considering how much I love their first four albums that's still saying a lot mm. uh, do you like Wild Beasts? are you sad to see them go? I'm very sad to see them go they are very very good like um, they've always been like, they're another one of the bands to filter into. It's so consistent. They've been dismissed by because by virtue of how consistent they are. Um, but I like at the t- at the time it was released, I thought Present Tense was going to be the album of the decade for a, a few months. I was wow. obsessed with that album so much. Yeah, that um, was my album of that year, or maybe second. But yeah, I it, it was it. it was incredible. Like it blew me away. Like I was um. I would because I was the music editor for my uni newspaper. Like I made sh- damn sure that it was in the top three. Like some there was I can't remember what one of that year or something really lame. Yeah, as um, usual. Yeah, I can't, what what came out? What, what sort of like half indie, half mainstream? Twenty thirteen. That was was it not twenty fourteen? Maybe fourteen. Yeah, yeah, fourteen. Um, I think. Royal Blood was the one behind it. I was outraged about that. Anyway, <laughs> but it was, it was yeah. That the, they they produced some of the best, um, the best in between pop music and that stuff that's always been very, um, hook centric, very melodic, but it's always been very strange. There's been always a lot of inventive and um curiosity in there and creativity and the the lyrics are so underappreciated as well. They've written some of the best stuff about love and sex. Yeah. I've, I've Especially on Two Dances. I think Two Dances is up there in my favourite albums of the last decade. Um and yeah, you're never gonna mistake a, a Wild Beast song when you hear it. Not just because they've got Hayden Thorpe whose voice is pretty unique. 
and, and very divisive, must be said. But because they just do weird, just like slanty versions of songs or just things that sound like they shouldn't work, sound absolutely ridiculous, over the top, uh, cartoony, uh, and they just work because they believe in it and they go with it and they 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 just resound sexuality when they want to or or anger or um pretentiousness if they want they they'll skewer themselves um and they have two songwriters in i mean lyric writers in Hayden and Tom and their switching between voices always makes things makes things interesting and dynamic and i feel like they could have easily made loads more albums but you got to respect a band when they decide to go out with a, a, a short but solid, extremely solid discography. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, 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 who knows what will happen in the future? Who knows? But then they they probably feel too uh, self conscious to do the whole reunion thing. They'll be like, mm. "This is wanky bullshit. Yeah. Uh, who does this?" But anyway, you've just informed me that another band that we love is breaking up. Yeah, um, Tall Ships, who meant a lot to me. Um, when their first album came out, way back in 2012, I believe, um, like that that was like a huge thing because I was just like just about to start uni and I was having some really tough like mental health times, and um, there was like the stuff they were singing about was that weird combination of abstract and and direct uh, and about like confronting life's minutiae rather than like any basic fundamental stuff about oh you can keep going on and everything like keep working hard it was so much more about the 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 day-to-day very basic functionality of purely existing on top of these incredible uh riffs that were propulsive and melodic and epic but also quite intimate at the same time um their album this year um when we did her when we did our um, half and half year roundup. I mentioned it as my most underappreciated of the year so far, and it's still in my top ten. I still, I, I, I love them so much, um, and I'm really sad to see them go. Yeah. So go buy their two records yeah. and support them, and tell them, show them that you love them, and maybe they won't give up. Yeah. Are they giving up, or are they just deciding to do other things? It must be tough to be a band who's underappreciated, as yeah. you said. Um, like between because the reason why it's been five years between the two albums, like they they said, obviously they could only get so much money from touring, yeah. um, so they all had to take jobs. Some of them had to take on two jobs. Some of them started families. Some of them got married. Yeah, and I think it's just like, in a way, impressions was like their last hurrah. Yeah, and. They thought maybe they can continue it, but they couldn't. So, like, please listen to Tosh. I can't. I I've gone on about how good this band are for far too long, and people just haven't been paying attention apparently. But please listen to them if you like very like rigorous but deeply emotive, compassionate rock music. I'm sure we'll bring them up again at the end of the year. Yeah, we will.
it's time to move on to your favourite segment, hypothetical listener, our <laughs> Lord and Saviour. Yeah. So we'll start off with uh, Lord Support Acts her, her, for her US tour, which look unbelievable. Yeah. Um, she's got Mitski, who is obviously quite a very good... I bet the Mitski camp is over the moon with that booking because she's going to make thousands of news fans, I feel like. Lord Lord fans are prime Mitski fans and they just don't know it yet. Um, but the other support slot is Run the Jewels, which would just be like an hour of hyping people up before Lord as well. So that's genius by Lord to just get them to, in to be like her, her hype act. Um who would you if you had to choose between seeing her with Run the Jewels and seeing her supported by Mitski what would you go for I feel Mitski would be better tonally but I feel for the just the viscerality of the experience Run the Jewels yeah but you have to imagine there's going to be a lot of teen Mm. teens near the front and getting encouraged to get like a bit messy and jump around and stuff by Run the Jewels it's going to be an interesting clash of uh ideals or something yeah but to be fair Mitski has like some of the sort of stuff like your best American girl were so invigorating and so yeah. like um stimulating that might it might have that same effect That's so true. I do I do feel and also Mitski in its own her own abstract way tailors to the same crowd uh, the idea of the the un, like the unknowable unrepresented female agency is something that like um both Lord and Mitski tap into really quite profoundly and movingly. So yeah. I think I think I I mean I'm so jealous of America. Like Yeah. Who did she have supporting her over here? I don't know I don't even know. Oh. We did have a live review by Sean but he didn't mention any support, so um yeah. So if you're in America Go see Lord on this tour. You're going to get a, a great support act as well in the deal. And there also, she did a song exploder for her song "Sober." Oh, I still haven't listened to that. Oh well, I I I'll just say it's really really good. She dips in from very academic um, analysis of it into very like really fun anecdotes. It's just um, they're just hearing her talk about it, and it's also. Similarly to her Mark Marin interview we discussed last time, it's a really interesting insight into her relationship with Antonov and how they play off each other, um, especially for the the tiger roar which comes in as the, when the bridge kicks in. Oh yeah. Um, she she was saying like like I mean who who wouldn't want a tiger on their song? <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's fair enough. Um, so definitely check that out if you haven't uh, just already still got the Marin podcast lined up for you. Yeah, so that's a podcast, Lord Podcast Double Header if you haven't listened to it either. Definitely. And uh, up for Kendrick, he's got his UK Dam Tour uh, coming up next February, supported by James Blake. Yeah, talk about great support acts. Lord does one thing, Kendrick does another thing. They're still that's why this is why we have a segment about them because they do these things. So James Blake supporting Kendrick Lamar. I can't decide if that's good, like tonally or not. I think it depends what sort of tunes he plays. Yeah, like if he if he is just gonna do a lot of like, like the Wilhelm scream and stuff like that, it's gonna be a bit. Of a but what songs could he play? Is he gonna get that? Play the song that has Brizza on it, and <laughs> that's like the most hip hop song he's done. I th- what he's done, he's done like really good DJ sets. In yeah. The past. So I wonder if there'll be some degree of that 
Oiders, like something like Timeless, is a really good in between. Oh uh, yeah, have you heard the Vince Staples remix of that? I've not. Actually. The one with him on it, it's quite interesting. Okay. Uh, so out. yeah, he could he could uh, do yeah Timeless would work. Uh, there was there were there were issues uh, with the ticketing. I've actually written uh, uh, thing. I don't know when it's coming up, but I have written the five best ticketing sites to buy from uh, in the wake of this uh, yeah. because like Ticketmaster basically collapsed and. People who tried to buy tickets the second they came on sale uh, just couldn't get it because apparently there was some um, software mal- malfunction or some like administrative thing behind the scenes. Um, and Ticketmaster does it quite a lot. But like, when I bought my ticket, I had no problems via Live Nation. And there's loads of other good options out there um, mm. that are really, really either well developed um, in terms of the actual uh, like front end and back end. Or they're just very shrewd in terms of what they recommend, and they also do like um, advanced codes and stuff like that. So hopefully that'll be coming up to make sure that it doesn't happen again. As there's quite a lot of people in my Twitter timeline were absolutely angry, like furious they didn't get tickets. Yeah, and it's also eighty quid plus postage. Yeah. so I'll be paying my rent in uh, baked beans for the <laughs> rest of the the next month. The fact is though, he has sold out. The O2 three times now because he added yep. another date. Yeah, and that sold very quickly. Yeah, uh, I slept through the sale because I was in Florida and it was at four a.m. Um, but uh, yeah, which is annoying actually because I want to go. You managed to get a ticket, so I did. yeah, I did. I'm I'm exceptionally hyped. I I I've not seen him live. Our our, our superior overlord Oliver. Yeah, actually, he saw him and like. Like it sounds bizarre now, but he's on a rough trade in store just in after Good Kid, Mad City, which well, seems obscene. Yeah, absolutely. There would be riots. Like that glass front of rough trades would be shattered yeah. if he tried that. Five now. years ago, you know, it's, it's ridiculous. The meteor, meteoric rise, as they call it. Yeah, oh, definitely. Um, yeah. So we wait. We were going to pose the question then: Who's bigger, out of Lord and Kendrick? Because you think Lord, being mainstream pop, having chart hits. Would be the bigger like the her target audience are the the people who listen to music the most you know teens and school kids uh, and students, um, but she only played one night at Ali Pali and now Kendrick's going to do three nights at the O2. So does that is he really that much more big like bigger than her? I I, mean, I think uh, I think the distance at this stage is still quite substantial because it's not just that and that's just in the UK and I think in the US that distance is even more pronounced yeah because in even more in the u.s than over here hip-hop is mainstream yeah. there for sure like and kendrick is the biggest act in hip-hop yeah with the, the possible exception of drake yeah you, you'd say kendrick is now the biggest especially like his critical backing yeah especially against drake plus like some as like wide as wide appeal he's just he, he covers every base as obviously is because he's god um, but and, and I like Lord is still growing at quite a lot, and I think this album will do huge favors for it. And I think this tour will do this this tour with Mitski and Run the Jewels will be huge for on the yeah. back of melodrama. Uh, and I think, but there's also like I'd say like she'll I I don't think she'll ever become like a Britney Spears or a Rihanna. Because she enjoys being weird and being a bit strange too much, I think she will master the same sort of quirky, amazing goddess appeal that Kate Bush or Bjork 
sort of perfected. Yeah. I think that will be a route. She at least pursues if she doesn't necessarily um, commercialised reach. Yeah, I think actually that's possibly quite true because she is still so young. And when Bjork was this young, she was still quite mainstream, but not that uh, popular. And also doing a lot more press, a lot more in the... And now she's become a bit more of a recluse, which I can mm. see happening to Lord for sure. Like she mm. just goes back to New Zealand and doesn't bring out music for half a decade. And then she'll, like Kate Bush, she doesn't mm. release music very often and stays very much in her own world. Yeah, I can definitely see Lord becoming that kind of person in the future. Uh, well, it'll be very interesting to see how that develops. And you'll find out in three weeks or so when we do the next podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Although, also, I just like to say, like, Kate Bush has come out as a card-carrying Tory member, so let's ignore everything she's ever created. Has it? But that doesn't ah, necessarily mean that she agrees with the Tory policies today, does it? Or what do you? What has she said? I think she's a much more like libertarian Tory, so I think yeah. she's very like pro-market, low taxes is her main thing, rather than like immigrants are terrible. Let's stop having immigrants. Yeah, I'm um, sure she's not. Yeah. Um, okay, well that, that was a fun tangent Let's move on to the big albums, and hoo boy, we have a lot of big albums. First up, we have Proto Martyr, Relatives in Descent. This is one I've been banging the drum about for months since I heard, they announced it, and uh, Domino sent it to me pretty much straight away because I told them how much of a big fan I was after the Agent Intellect and Under Color of Official right before that. And I think this is their best one yet. I mean, I know a lot, some places haven't agreed with that, but I think as an album as a whole, production-wise, uh, ambition, it just really absolutely destroys. Um, just it, it fits together magnificently as an album. You can tell that the the they. I spoke to uh, Joe Casey, and he told me how they basically had to quit their jobs after the last touring the Asian intellect because they were touring so much and then that they used that extra time to focus on the music and um, Joe the singer obviously is his first Stone master one of the things they're most renowned for are his lyrics um, but his lyrics are kind of inspired by whatever the band cooks up and they sh that shouldn't be overshadowed even though his lyrics are amazing and uh, very worthy of dissection or whatever the way that the band has written these kind of caustic punk songs that that uh that have so much going on in them have have uh the production on them is just really uh staticky and uh, it just gives so much energy and also it gives a sinister vibe to the whole thing that joe picks up on his lyrics i think he has some kind of synesthesia in the way he kind of listens to the songs and writes songs and writes lyrics that fit them perfectly um, like the perfect example on this album is Up the Tower, which has this kind of uh, build to a massive thudding drum moment. And so he basically wrote lyrics about people going up a tower and knocking down a door at the top, and it works perfectly in time with the music. And there's other examples as well. Uh, the Windsor Hum, uh, which is about an actual thing that's going on in Windsor, in, on the south coast of Canada, just across one of the Great Lakes from Detroit, where Proto Master are from. Apparently, there's an island in the middle of the lake um, that gives off 
that has a factory that makes these sounds that are just rattling this town uh, called Windsor in Canada and disturbing the 200,000 people that live there, giving them bad dreams or depressions and things like this. So he's kind of written a song about that and the guitars in it just kind of have this gnarly, like fuzzy sound that really gets into your eardrums and makes you feel like you have tinnitus, but in the best way ever. And then when I spoke to him, he kind of, he he's it was based on the winds at hum in real life but he also kind of said how it's related to being in a band and being in uh you know doing really loud rock songs each night and you have these this kind of hum in your ears at the end of it and uh he kind of personifies the hum in the song and it's it's like sinisterly whispering everything's fine everything's fine uh and i mean i could just go on forever about this album what do you think yeah i'm I'm fairly i'm pretty much on board with you there's there's just a best work by by far I'd go as far and say I, I really liked the first three albums. yeah like they, they, they were very good um but they, they were like stuff that you know it was it didn't feel as much of an event as this as this feels like and so yeah. much of that is intuitive like obviously like there are albums that you think are great we're going to get into one I feel uh, and very shortly that I feel this about that you feel you really like but it, you don't feel it, there's not that intuition of it being a seminal capital I important album, and this is a capital I important album in my view. Like, um, it's surpassed their post punk deferences and impregnable cerebralness, which is apparently a, a criticism, according to the reviews uh, Rob implied previously. Um, and the music now is incredibly affecting and vivid, like, there's They've they've been so going about the loquacious and playfulness, but there's like a real beauty to it now. There's a real purpose. There's a real vivacity to it. Um, like it all fe- like feels connected. Everything, the music, the lyrics, the general affect of it, it just clicks in into one singular motion and one singular motivation, and it it it, it across the album as well. It's incredibly coherent. And some some of the sequencing on the record as well is unbelievable. It's some of the yeah. best sequencing I've heard this year, on top of everything else. Um, my one of my favorite songs this year, and one of the most beautiful songs this year, "Night Blooming," serious. Um, and the way like this, unbelievable. This, it's it's very short, comparatively short. It's just under three and a half minutes, but the, it tells such a story in of itself. And then once it, it ends, very like starkly very pointedly and it b- smashes into male plague yeah and it it's it's it it works so well like i can't i can't like articulate well enough just how effective this is yeah that's one of my favorite moments in music this year is that's that that cut from night blooming serious into male plague and it helps that male plague is absolutely scorching and yeah. also one of the best punk songs they've written with a really just like uh absolutely bileful um chorus and just absolutely destroys for its three minutes whatever it runs for uh, that's the other thing on this album it's got a nice mix of short sharp punk songs like male plague or don't go to anacita and then it's got some real like noodly uh unpredictable ones like the opening track private understanding and um the chuckler and, and songs like that yeah i'm a big fan of my children and the chuckler are, are- Two of my favorite songs off the record. Yeah, and I love the chuckler because it's got that 
the character in it, the chuckler that Casey is playing, and he's he's kind of speaking for all of us when he's thinking he's looking at the 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 uh, modern news and seeing how fucked the world is, and all he can do is sit and laugh. So, well, I guess I'll keep on chuckling is the is the refrain, and the way he delivers it is just so perfect it's just like i can't help but imagine a guy in a pub or a bar just like reading the newspaper and be like oh well fuck it and taking another swig of his drink and who knows uh yeah um and yeah i just love this band and this album so much i think that th- i think that you've captured it quite well there what this album articulates so well and what about whereas the as other the other albums they were always very instrumentally good and they're very lyrically clever but emo- i couldn't emotionally connect with them whereas this one he seems more <laughs> intended on emotional connection, and, the, and it's really clicked with me personally because there is that that weird that weird oxymoronic relationship between obscene nihilism, which runs through the record, and a desperation for compassion and humility yeah. at the same time. Um, I think that's what really like wins me over with it, and yeah. that. Is it's like a guy who's just who's very intelligent and very like he, in some way, looks down on most human interaction, but he also feels for everyone and he's finding it scares him how, like terrifying the world is and he's just so desperate for that connection. Yeah, and his intelligence is a kind of everyman intelligence. Mm. It's not. It's like barroom chat. It's like you can yeah. talk to anyone. He can talk to anyone in the room. Yeah, that that point you make about it being nihilistic and compassionate um my children is a perfect example of that mm. where he's imagining his future children that he doesn't have and how fucked up they'll be because of having him as a father but then he also wants to make the world a better place for them in their future so uh i just yeah i can't say enough good things about relatives and descent yeah i thought i i well, we'll we'll be moving on, but I'm I'm pretty confident we'll be discussing it again come the uh, end of your roundup. I hope so. Now moving on to the next big album we have on board, we have the latest album from Torres, Three Futures. Yeah, Three Futures, her third album, um, first for 4AD. Mackenzie Scott has kind of almost, I want to say, don't want to say reinvented, but evolved is definitely the case mm. on this album compared to her self-titled and Sprinter, both of which I loved, were kind of straightforward indie rock albums, whereas this one... There's nary a riff on it, but there's lots of guitars. Mm. It's more like atmospheric guitars, kind of very strangely produced, long uh, notes kind of bending over the songs. I kind of get a really sci-fi feel from this album. Maybe it's just the title, uh, or I don't know. It's just it's quite an unusual rock album, and there's a lot of moodiness to it and lyrical obtuseness that bears... Uh, trying to unknot, un- un- but it doesn't come easily. Uh, what have you made of it? I'm, I'm, I really like it, but like, 
both her previous albums were in my top 10 of their respective years. What was it, 2013, 2015? Something like that. Um, like, I, I've fucking loved Torres. Yeah. Um, I, 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 like, this is, as you say, this is a departure. Um, it's very eccentric and sta- strange, but I think it works well. Um, I might not, it's not settled with me as much as the other two, though I do appreciate what it's done. And I still think it's a very, very good album. Um, there's a lot to unpack here, like lyrically. Some of the lyricism is terrific. Some of the, some her her tons of phrase and just yeah. what she can do in a sentence is stunning and has been since she's existed. Like yeah. she's worked. Um, but more than ever, she's using her voice to yep. carry out some of the lyrics yep. that wouldn't work if she didn't. She wasn't committed to them. I'm thinking of a Righteous Woman. Yeah. Uh, which what the 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 first thing she says i'm not a righteous woman i'm more of an ass man which uh you can't as a woman you can't pull that off unless you're really going for it and you sound like you've got balls and uh she does she sounds she's gone deep throaty amazing and then the chorus of that song is next time you're in the city if you should you decide to call me just make sure you know that i'm that i'm dealing with a flesh that's far too willing or something so you can hear it like being really snarky about sexuality and and uh, um her own kind of willingness to get into relationships or or fuck around or whatever um but then there's other songs on it that just really are hard to figure out like the opening line of the whole album is uh knowing that you're folding laundry outside the bedroom door i slept near it which is a nice image and chase in his review for the 405 suggested that it might be like a paternal thing like it's talking to her father, which I think is quite interesting. If you look further into the lyrics, it's definitely possible. Uh, the chorus of that song is, uh, I bet you never dreamed I'd become such a goddamn Yankee or something like that, which I don't know what she's trying to say with that. Do you have any theories on that? Um, I, I've read something about the idea of like um, dislocation in America, the idea of um, home and everything no uh, the, the relation between home and identity um i'm not sure how much like validity there is in that um but i i th- do think it's an interesting idea but, but the thing that's always stood out for me uh, and does again is her voice and her lyrics like i i do enjoy like looking into the abstruseness and obstinacy of the lyrics but i feel like there's only so much you can derive from that, especially this time when it is increasingly abstruse and obstinate. Yeah. Um, also, fucking good cover up. Yeah, I actually, as you, I, it took me a long time to notice the mirror. To be honest, because yeah. I kept seeing her just dominating the picture. It's like what you were saying about the songs is they don't settle in. You don't kind of realize them until you've looked at it or listened to it a few times and you realize what's going on. So yeah. If you look at the Torres cover art, don't make sure you don't miss what's happening in the mirror. But, but I I also think what I assume is also a comment on how fucking ridiculous it is that we still have like insipid rock bands having distorted naked women on their their albums coming out in twenty seventeen. <coughs> Royal blood. <laughs> um that that's twice I've, I've made fun of them in this yeah, podcast. Go for the hat trick before yeah, the end. Yeah, I'll, I'll wait wait and see. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I, I, I assume that it's just like a complete power move, and it works so well because like she's obviously just this authority anyway. Um, 
And for now, F- yeah, just as much as some of the lyrics are really abstract and hard to um, to unpick, the chorus of the title track is absolutely killer. I, I, um, I pictured three futures, one alone and one with you, and one with the love I knew I'd choose. It's such a devastating, oh, uh, great chorus and an amazing song. Um, and yeah, I feel like I'm still, I've listened to this album lots of times but i still feel like there's a lot to get into the final track to be given a body it's very philosophical there's a lot of buddhist messages on it um and yeah i don't know it's it's much more of a mood piece than anything she's done before and i'll be interested to see what her live show is like now yeah see her next month how much she'll play from this how much she'll like I got to see her a few times touring sprinter which was nice and she absolutely rocked but this could be completely different I, I'm looking forward to it. Um, yeah, yeah, that'll be good. That that'll be. I'm sure we'll food back on it, but we're seeing her on Japanese breakfast at the same venue back to back, which will be sick. And actually, they're not two dissimilar types of albums in, the, no. in a way. They're both like sort of cohesive statements. Yeah, it'll be a, a very harmonious couple of days. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to that, and you, you can hear about that later. Moving on to Fortet, New Energy. Yeah, I think this is the one you were referring to earlier. It wasn't actually, no. No? Um, oh. That is, the, that is the, the very next one. Okay, well. Uh, um, for, but it is, it is similar in that, um, as you've probably insinuated from, my, from myself in the previous podcasts, I am a massive Fortet fanboy. Made that very clear in the opening sentences of your review of this album. Yeah. Where he basically I, I, said unequivocally that he's the best producer in the world. No arguing. Yeah, I, I, and I stand by that. Um, but what I will like, I wouldn't say he's been off form for a few years. He's just been doing that thing that Radiohead did after and Rainbows, where they just quite content just to dabble and just to lightly experiment rather than try anything too radical. Yeah. Um, so we had. Um, th- after after the pink compilation, we had oh, what was that? The um, beautiful rewind. rewind. Um, that was it. Was good. It was fine. It was all right. And then you had um, morning, morning evening. evening, which was it was actually very very good. I really liked that. But yeah. as I like, as I point out in my review, it's basically like an elongated twelve inch. Yeah, it's like the kind of thing burial releases every eight months or whatever. Um, and it's it's very satisfying, but will it? Which it's just that we've not had a properly substantial fortet in years. Yeah. And then new energy comes along, and it's great. It's really good. It's very very good, but it's not mind blowing. And that's what that's the thing that doesn't that that bugs me because all the stuff throughout the noughties and theirs loving you and pink, fucking floored me. Yeah. Um, whereas this feels like a post greatest hits album, it's similar to American Dream, and it might it may grow on me like American Dream did, and yeah. that it's not it's not a progression, it's a consolidation of his technique and his values. 
and there's some gorgeous songs on here like LA Trance, SW9, 9SL. One of the highlights of my year, no matter what the album's like in general, is Daughter. Uh, Planet is also brilliant. I, like there's there's a lot of really good cuts on here. I just don't think it blows my mind. And I'm I'm being a l- far too critical on it, considering I gave it an eight, like a very solid eight. Uh, and it's a brilliant. It's must not. It's a good, great album, and I highly recommend you listen to it. Yeah. Um. It's it's kind of a compilation or a, or a highlights reel of everything he does well. It's not as single-minded as some of his best work. Like I guess Pink is kind of hard to unfair to point out but because that's, that's 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 the weird thing though that despite the fact that it is a compilation of what four eps yeah it's it works so well together like but that's because well he together. did those all as kind yeah. of they were meant as 12 inches meant to be played on yeah. dance floors so when they came together as an eight track album it works really well whereas this one he's got the obvious bangers like planet and sw99 sl but then he's also doing things that kind of hark back to his rounds and pause days like daughter is kind of like that with his looping central uh um sample and uh la trance is almost always a bit like that the main thing to take away from this i think is how organic sounding his productions are compared to a lot of people in the same field i mean um certain songs like lush yeah. almost sounds like it could be played by a band like a, by a live mm. band there's a lot of dulcimer used on the album and maybe that's you you quoted me in your review as well about how i said it sounded homogenous i think that's just because of how unique it sounds and mm. because of how um how organic and acoustic it is uh, um because he uses a lot of the same instruments like dulcimer or harp or whatever and these plucked strings and the way he kind of chops them off or whatever it makes it all sound of a piece Mm. But there is a lot of um, a lot of different elements and angles on his sound going on, um, and I can't wait to get the album on vinyl because mm. I think it's going to sound really rich, yeah, uh, even richer than it sounds, you know, just on headphones or whatever. Because he, he I'm sure that a lot of this was recorded with live instruments yeah. and, and then re-edited into his songs or whatever. I have no idea how Fortet does what he does, but uh, I can s- that's what it sounds like to me. And uh, yeah, the way it, it, it he can do a song that will sound great on a dance floor, but also sounds great just in your living room as well, just chilling out. So, I mean, there's not many people who can do that. So yeah, I think this is this will be held up. He's got what nine albums now. This has got to be yeah in the top five. Which I know it sounds a bit like damning with faint praise, <laughs> but that's a very tough list to make. Yeah, yeah. I like he's been brilliantly consistent for twenty years now, and it's it is a very good album. And I'll probably, as I say in the review, like over listening to it ahead of. AOTY time, the dreaded, the dreaded time. I'll yeah. probably, I'll definitely advance up my list. Yeah, I and feel like once I hear it on vinyl, yeah. it's definitely going to get pushed. Yeah, up. and I mean, once I hear Planet on the dance floor, yeah, that's gonna be, that's gonna be sick. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if we were talking about this again at the end of the year. Yeah, although there's been so many, we can't talk about them all. Well, well, we'll, we'll find out. We'll find out. That'll be, that'll be the exciting part. Tune in later. Much later.
move on to the album I was referring to previously in terms of albums that I think are great, very, very great, but probably won't enter favourite of the year or last with me too long, and that is Wolf Parade's new album, Cry, Cry, Cry. Yeah. So t- tell us why you feel that way. Um, so my review will probably be out by the time this is well this is out um and i so i actually disagree with ian cohen's review of this going against my own brand of worshipping ever like thinking ian cohen is one of the best music writers out there um i think there's a lot of he tried to say in a way that forte's album was is quite this is a quite a homogenous wolf parade album a yeah. fairly sort of like um toned down streamlined version of wolf parade I disagree. I think there's a lot of eccentricity here and a lot of invention, a lot of um, like creativity. Um, not least the baby blue and weaponized sequencing in the middle, which is almost like an elongated prog rock interlude where the two longest songs in the record happen in just right in the middle and they go wildly off off peak. And it's, it's, it's really interesting. It works really well in my opinion. Um, and they do have loads, even like their most um, apparently straightforward songs like You're Dreaming have like really interesting stuff going on in the background when an organ filters into a more conventional like a guitar line. You don't really notice it until you attempt to consciously pick up on it. It's very interesting how they've worked that in. Um, I think it's, there's, like it's it's, I really like it. It's eloquent, it's intelligent, it's substantive, without ever being heavy-handed, doesn't take itself too seriously. And it, it's one of those good albums that's been released since Trump that's um, that's political without being... Um, preachy. What, like, le- yeah, preachy, like, lecturous. Um, it's, like all Wolf Parade songs, it's still quite abstract. A lot of the lyrics are quite dense in a good way and so you can really surmise quite a lot about it um what do you think i there's a weird thing with this album because it sounds like wolf parade i mean when they announced the album they had a quote from dan beckner saying how when they got back into the room together he immediately started playing guitar in a way that he didn't play since he was in wolf parade and you can definitely hear that these are wolf parade songs unmistakably and they, they've got that same like ramshackle nature to them but there's some weird like too pristine sheen about it i don't know if it's just i don't know i wish i had the technology technical expertise to know what i'm talking about but it just doesn't sound quite as do or die as their early stuff uh when like i'll believe in anything and uh dear sons and daughters of hungry ghosts and you're a runner and those kinds of things just sounded like this was a band who kind of came together and just had to bash out these songs or, or the, because they were just tearing them apart. Whereas these songs have the same kind of energy, but they don't feel as urgent. Nonetheless, I still really like this album. There's a lot of really good songs on it. Uh, you mentioned your dreaming and the organ that comes into that. That sounds like classic Wolf Parade that kind of come like you wouldn't hear that in another band, how it comes in and kind of dances around the guitars. Um, the two epic songs in the middle do remind you about at Mount Zuma songs like mm. don't get as epic as like kissing the beehive, but something like California dreaming or something like that. It's, it, they're easily match up to that. Um, there's a couple of uh, songs that 
don't really do anything for me like who are you and artificial life which just seemed like straightforward indie rock songs with yeah. not much going on yeah this the, the second half of the record is is conspicuously worse than the first yeah it does start start really strongly and uh i, I find it interesting to say you think it's political because i kind of haven't i guess i haven't focused on the lyrics that much but i've always just taken like little images away from them like mm. lazarus online i don't know what that's about but it's just the title itself is kind of interesting to think about but with lazarus online um well it's i think that's like the the political introduction because it's I, quite similar to the arcade fire which i lambasted for i think it was the creature comfort creature music, comfort yeah um that had the image about a fan committing suicide because of them yeah wolf parade lazarus online comes up with with the idea that a fan didn't commit suit who messaged dan dan i think um and they didn't commit suicide because of their music yeah and dan had very conflicting emotions about it because uh obviously you don't want to promote anything about someone committing suicide no but at the same time uh like it's it's quite an uplifting thing is it? and he was just like it was it was about his mixed response to this fan telling him about, and I, I I'm in mixed emotions about that because I don't think using suicide for art can ever be a truly good thing. Yeah, it, it can be like uplifting, but I don't know if it can ever be truly tasteful. Mm. Um, but it's 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 a really quite powerful song when like actually so. Once I sat myself down and properly paid attention to what was going on, um, but yeah, I think there's a lot going on like lyrically. Like, there's so many allusions to. It's more about the personal perspective than like genuine, like critical nitpicking of actual political situations. It's about and the emotive response to political dilemma, which I and and uh, which may be my like pretentious self indulgent over analysis from it but i really felt it portrayed that idea of the intuitive personal response to politics quite well um and it's got some banging riffs as well so yeah it does have some amazing riffs um see i've never sat down and thought about wolf parades lyrics that much before um the only song i can probably say is lyrically really good is modern world from the first album which is it's really simple and then this one um I don't know. I just like the images and that they use and take them to epic kind of places. Like on this one, they use flies on the sun. I don't know if there is anything deeper to be read into that, but I just like that image and that mm. song itself just really rocks. And it reminds me of things, things like kissing the beehive, which I, that probably has deeper meanings as well, but that's just a, um, a, a really fun kind of image to think about, and especially in the context of that song, which is just humongous and ridiculous and 10 minutes long and totally over the top, and has this image of kissing the beehive in the middle of it. And some things like Dear Sons and, Do Sons and Daughters of Hungry Ghosts off the first album, like, I don't know what that, that image is, but it's a cool one and it's a really fun song to think about that kind of titular image. So, yeah, I've never really delved into the lyrics of Wolf Parade before. So it's interesting to hear you say that. But I think there's one thing we can go both agree on, is that considering this was released the week after Will Fallon's new album, 
this is definitely the best album released by a band with Wolf in the title in the past two weeks. Ooh, just throwing out barbs. Well, I haven't listened to the Wolf Alice album in, in full, but the songs I've heard are all right. I know you're complete. Are you more than indifferent towards them? No, I'm just, I'm just so, I'm like chronically indifferent. It's just that they, um, they get so the, much hype. the six music mafia are just like, are just so on board with them. Uh, well, actually, I had a good conversation with a few people. Like, there's um, a really, really good, it's patronizing to say, up and coming, but like a writer who's just emerged in the past year or so. He's fantastic. Is uh, Emma Madden, who writes for like Clash and London Stereo and Lane the Best Fit and places like that. Um, but she's like she had a good point where it's more like the Radio One dads than the six like the six music crowd who are into Wolf Alice. And it's like they're like a elevated rock band for the next few years um, to go alongside the, the other stuff like that, rather than specifically like a Lauren Laverne cut or something like that. Yeah, which I think is quite is an interesting point. You wrote a piece about dads. The, the <laughs> Wait, actually, yeah, that's that's a good point. Actually, Wolf Alice are very centrist dad. Yeah, actually, ch- check out plug plug for that piece. I've written something about what if you've you've probably heard the term centrist dad. I've cr- I've provided a very nail on the head music profile for them. So go check that out and let me know whether you're deeply offended. <laughs> Did you get some negative feedback from that? Um. I got I got some really positive feedback actually. Yeah. But um, I then I I I sent it to my actual dad and he wasn't impressed. Yeah. But then again, he's he was he wasn't impressed because he wasn't fairly represented because he's a massive OMD and Duran Duran fan. So that's not centrist. It's not it's not very cent. That's not that's not very centrist. But he is the ultimate. He, his politics are very. You centrist think he would like Wolf uh, Wolf Atlas? Yeah, he he does he does actually like Wolf <laughs> Atlas. He 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 um he WhatsApp me like. 2015 that album came out something like that yeah and he whatsapped me or texted me whatever was the fad at the time just saying have you heard this band Wolf Alice I was like yeah that's very that's very you um, I'm not anyways. surprised to really receive this message next oh uh, yeah so that was a fun tangent um the last of our big albums is the world is a beautiful place and i am no longer afraid to die with always foreign yeah uh third album from this band who are emo's shining lights in a in a time when emo is absolutely killing it i yeah. think um this album is one that like all the best albums has taken its time to grow on me like at first i was like i was a bit disappointed with how it didn't have the same kind of long protracted songs with breakdowns as harmlessness and the first half of the album is very short and sharp pop punk songs really and uh they didn't they didn't stay around long enough for me to get into them but then you listen to the album as a whole and it it is very much an album it has a really nice sweep to a nice flow it goes through 
a nice kind of dip in the middle and then builds up to this incredible ending like the back end of always foreign is absolutely phenomenal and then as reviews came out for it and i read more around it and looked more into the lyrical content and realized how angry and political this album is it just made me love it all the more um you know touches on so many things from uh corruption to racism to you know misogyny and just general anger at what's going on in the world it's what you want from a punk album which is something we'll discuss later with one of our favorite articles but um yeah i i just think and like i didn't even know things about how the title is taken from is shared with his the singer david bellows uh father's uh what's it called memoir about about coming to america as a as a, a foreigner and the way it was but yeah i mean the title always foreign speaks for itself once you know that mm. um and the, he's kind of used that in the song marine tigers which is easily one of my favorite songs of the year that mm. that is the one song that does do the long seven minute thing and has incredible the kind of denouement with the with all the horns i want like the horn use on this album is incredible because it's not that much but when it comes they've used it so perfectly that it really underscores the moments that it do, that it does come in just really makes it so much sharper and more impactful and uh marine tigers the end of that song particularly is absolutely stunning uh what do you think yeah, I'm. I completely agree. Um, we're just uh, touching on the horn thing. Like that is something they've they did very well with whenever, if ever, and harmlessness. Like that has just been such a critical component of their music, and it's just substantiated, like the idea of like emotional music. Like there's something in and it's, it's a bit di- of a digression, but there's something innately emotive about brass instruments, where I just it just there's a surging urgency to it and the vitality that just works so well and they obviously picked up on that and worked it with these incredible these textured melodic um riffs and chord movements um what i think so impressive about this album is their is their utter eloquence when so many records about the political situation in america has get is getting released about and they're so direct and so Un- it sounds patronising, but they're not informed, especially in the wake of the Eminem's rap yesterday, which I have so many problems with, as I wrote at the time of recording yesterday. On the, on the day that Eminem did his rap, I wrote a thing quite upset about the rap. Um, and uh, like, they, they released, this band, The World Is A Beautiful Place, released one of the best records of all time about depression and about anxiety. And then they've tackled an issue that is so different so so complex in its own way but all like mirroring the complexity of mental health but they've done it in such um elucidation and in, in intellect and but also compassion and depth it's just it's unbelievable that someone can move like a band can move from such a complex topic into another and not lose that clarity or that punch and still have this this musical overlap on it, and that just works incredibly well. And as you say, Marine Tig- Tigers is just this masterpiece of a song. You know, it's 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 not it's, it's not alone though. But uh, you've got like Faker and Graham; these are brilliant songs as well. Like Dylan and Our Son, 
Hilltopper. Yeah, Hilltopper. These I mean, are as I said, the first the intro with the short first five or six songs, like two to three minute songs, they kind of first few times they pass you by as like, okay, that was a fun little blast of energy, but what else? And then the more you listen to it, like, oh fuck, there's so many like little hooks and mm. passages and angles in this song that just absolutely rule and uh like dylan and her song is is an epic song in under three minutes yeah. it packs in so much um they're all, they're also like they're also touching on very radically different issues thematically as well like, they're quite divergent in that way but it, it it works so well it's almost just like it's all it's almost like what we're doing now is that is we're ranting about all these disparate topics to try and convalesce some coherence into something in a very minute space of time it's like it's it's unbelievably eloquent and instrumentally incredible. Like we gave it a nine. Po- like Zach, Zach's review is very good. Yeah, we g- he gave it a nine point five. Yeah, would you be around that? Maybe I would. I have to say, in terms of emo albums, this one shits all over science fiction for me. Like I put this much higher than science fiction. We don't have to use the phrase "shits all over." <laughs> all right, no, okay. because, no, because you're just doing that to elicit a response from me, because you know I'll kick off. Um, I just want to say about um, Fuzz Minor on this album. As much as you say they can be eloquent, I love how on Fuzz Minor they just go direct. Where the chorus is, "I can't wait until I see you die," um, and he tweeted, uh, "That song is dedicated to Donald Trump." Uh, so you know they don't need to be eloquent. Sometimes they they can just uh, go direct and for the gullet. And uh, when it's done in a song like Fuzz Minor, which has these absolutely booming riffs, and it comes up towards the end of the album when they've built up all this momentum, it just it just absolutely perfect. Well, eloquence is subjective. <laughs> Those those are like some of the big albums that we feel quite passionately about the past few weeks. Now we have some, um, as we always say, not quite smaller, but some other albums where we feel about. Well, lots of albums, like albums that we love, but we don't know if we have as much time to it's spend been, on It's them. been a mental few weeks. Yeah, October was, I feel like there's a conspiracy. I feel like a lot of bands release their albums late September, October, just in time for the end of year list. Yeah, yeah, It's very possibly, strategic. Possibly. Uh, the first minor album we're going to talk about is the clientele's music for the age of miracles and when i spoke to alistair mclean about the album i asked him if if the the release date of september 22nd was a, a marketing thing and he said he had no choice in it uh it was the labels thing but he reckoned it was because as he admitted and as i have mentioned when we did their um the, the retrospective on the Violet Hour, they are quintessentially autumnal. So to come out on September 22nd, just as the season is changing, just seems like a perfect marketing strategy. And also because it could be included in end-of-year lists, it will be more present in people's minds. But maybe only mine, because I don't know if as many people are as loving as much as I am. But I think that Music for the Age of Miracles is such a welcome return for the clientele. And... 
uh, it still sounds like them. I mean, they're never not going to sound like the clientele, but they've added, it sounds modern. They've added a new member who has added like uh, dulcimer to the sounds. And he also did more of the arrangements and there's songs that sound like classic clientele, like the age of miracles. And then there's songs that sound like clientele 2.0, like everything you see tonight is different from itself, which just has like programmed drums and, um alistair mclean told me this was the last song they did and they were just kind of it's kind of the epitome of what they were trying to achieve like throwing in so many layers they've got mary Lattimore playing harp on it and uh lots of strange and ephemeral kind of images in the lyrics as he always has um the whole album is kind of based around the the changing of the seasons the dancing of the seasons and things like that and constellations play a big part i mean i don't know i just find it so whimsical and lovely and perfect i mean maybe i'm just a a white boy in london and that's who it's made for but i love it what do you think um i don't have that much to say on it to be to be quite honest as you say it's like it's, it's like an enjoyable stroll through um, you know, Hamden Heath on a still autumn day. You yeah. know, it's like it's, it's like very crisp and sunny and pleasant. Um, it's 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 good. It's fine. It's the absolute epitome of the kind of album that will appeal to fans who are already fans of the clientele and probably won't win any new ones. As 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 very uh, illustrated quite well here. Yeah, exactly. So, but I would still encourage people if you haven't heard of the clientele and really whimsical, melodic, well orchestrated indie rock with lyrics about dreams and waking up in the middle of the night and birds and constellations and things like that appeals to you, give it a try. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. Next up, I'd actually like to pair two albums together in okay. a, a rogue choice as Moses Sumney, A Romanticism, and then Kalela, Take Me Apart. All right. Because they are kind of both about relationships and sex. And and because they're from a very like, uh, particular singular vision of yeah. sex and relationships. Like, they're both a bit very deconstructive in their own way, both very abstract and incredibly interesting and also just very very good albums both, on that both phenomenal albums they both deserve to be in our big albums header but uh we just have too much to talk about so which one should we focus on first let's let's start with uh, moses yeah our, our lad moses uh so a romanticism his debut album after a couple of eps a lot of yeah. hype for a lot of years uh and wow it's just it, this is an album capital a album in the sense that you should listen to it front to back i think rob whitfield did a really good review of this for us on the 405 uh i think a lot of people will be put off by the spareness of it it's it's a soulful album but there's not much it's a lot about moses's voice and the main strength of it is that he knows how to use his voice and how to instrument make instrumentals around that whether they are like really spare 
like um, Doomed, which I think is absolutely one of the best songs of the year. Just the way he controls his voice through this most forlorn kind of song. And then uh, Lonely World, which Rob pointed out in his review, the kind of bi- it's the it's the big jam center of the album the one point where it gets really loud and bustling and uh, this album kind of builds up to it and then falls away from it is what he said in his review and I think that's a really uh, strong point but the interesting underlying thing is um, A Romanticism that's the title and it's kind of an album about wanting physical love but not being ready to have kind of emotional love and he wrote a kind of mini essay about what A Romanticism is to go along with the 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 thing and he's talking about how he'd love for that to one day not be pointed out as a spelling mistake on Microsoft Word or whatever Um, and yeah the album's all about that about how um, he wants to just make out in his car rather than go back to someone's place Uh, when they have an argument don't quarrel a lover's lover's quarrel goes the song quarrel which is a really amazing soulful song and uh, yeah and uh, indulge me it's just like him pleading to someone to um you know indulge his weird uh, perspective on love and relationships and yeah as you said it's a very singular vision what yeah you, what else do you think about it but i uh, think you've summed that up really well it's just it's such a fascinating take on it and with those like it's it seems like a very profound powerful movement for the fluidity of sexuality not just in terms of the type of of gender slash non-gender that you're attracted to but just the uh, the various types of attraction within that itself like the, the the idea that you can just be like you can just be attracted to them for once that one aspect and everything like that it's it's just such an intelligent really quite interesting and moving album that just that you feel like you're learning something from it while you're listening to it it's yeah. quite it's quite a edifying experience yeah and it's this is a a gay black guy singing like soul music with indian flexions coming out on jag jaguar kind of tells you about the whole range of different things going mm. on musically and uh personally on the album and I don't know. It's 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 the kind of album you can't really describe that easily, and I would just encourage people to go and listen to it. Moses Sumney, a romanticism. And now we move on to Kalela. Kalela has finally released a debut album, "Take Me Apart," after releasing the "Cut for Me" mixtape four years ago, and then releasing "Hallucinogen" the EP a couple of years ago. Now we finally have "Take Me Apart," which is absolutely. I think this makes her the most the the best R and B like musician in the world. Obviously, she uh, the album just demonstrates how adventurous she is in taking these basic R and B kind of tenets and with the help of like amazing production crew, like deconstructing them and rebuilding them in more complex and and uh, interesting ways the album's come out on warp which tells you a lot about how experimental it is especially for an r&b album but even with kalela still at the core singing about sex and desire and you know breakups and things like that it it is r&b undoubtedly despite its kind of weird alien production uh what do you think about it uh, yeah 
Um, without pigeonholing too much, it reminded me the first time I heard a full FK, that full FK Twigs album. Yeah. And that there's that weird combination of in, like vulnerability and strength. Um, yeah. Well, Arco was a producer on both that and this. So there's oh, a lot of shared, oh, well, shared yeah. DNA in that respect. Yeah, yeah, fair. Um, and there's also like Kingdom as a producer on one on um, SOS, and there's there's quite a, the entry, the production credits are quite interesting. Jam, all of Jam City. Yeah, um, Quez, who has been floating around, he's a British guy I met once actually. He he released an, an album, solo album, but he's yeah as a producer, he's that done his best work, and maybe this might his be his best because I think he's produced, he's co-produced almost every song on this album. Yeah. Uh, and it sounds amazing. I, I, that that I, the sound is incredible for, her, and her voice is incredible. Like yeah. it's, it's just, I I I have a time with R and B that it's quite tough to like proper. I feel like it's, it can be sometimes quite tough to properly distinguish distinguish yourself, and that's probably just my inherent prejudices. Uh, but this does this this sounds amazing, and it, it has pro. It's got a real punch to it as well, considering yeah. like. It's fairly run-of-the-mill themes. The way they're expressed and the way they're voiced is really quite profound. Yeah, and even the production plays into the kind of uh, the way that she comes across, like a song like "Turn to Dust," where she's talking about you. You look at me, and I turn to dust, and the kind of synths around it are really vaporous, and you feel like her. You can kind of hear her just like turning into this melting into dust or whatever she's saying it, and then songs like "Let Me Know," which has kind of got sassy a sassiness to it, has this really underlying deep bass throb that kind of belies the confidence, the bolshiness going on, and then "Frontline" is just a straight up kind of sex song, and it's really that's the opening song, and it's like really smooth and 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 seductive, and yeah, I think that the symbiosis between her voice and the production it just is flawless throughout the album and it's 54 minutes which is long um but it is the kind of album you can dip into and just put on one track or whatever and it, it absolutely kicks ass and listening to it in full if you're gonna have a full-on bone session i mean <laughs> what else would you want from 2017 yeah that's true you know if you if, if, if. If you back yourself for 54 minutes, <laughs> you can get it done two times in that length. Yeah, yeah. Didn't it make you better? Aren't we better now? I know it made me better. Aren't we better now that we've been around the block once or twice? Breaking up in the middle of the night, no Next up, Phoebe Bridgers. Stranger in the Alps. Yeah. Which is one you've been thinking about a lot. Yeah, about. Has, spoke to her. Has. I, I spoke to her. Um, I think I'm doing like um, a fairly substantial feature that's a like halfway combination between a review and an interview with her because she is just... It, it's, quite, it's one of those albums that I found quite tricky to write critically about because so much of it is emotive, so much of it is in instinctive your response to it um she's drawing a lot of comparisons justifiably to play it. people like fiona apple corner burst even julian baker um and the and when in my view due to the power of her lyrics and the sarcity of her music um but for for me 
she reminds me most of Mark Kozlik and that she evokes a specificity and a time and a place and an immediacy that I haven't heard in a long time. Like, her lyrics and her imagery is so vivid, you feel transplanted to that type, that that situation immediately. Um, and, like, the music's good. Like, the, 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 the guitar and everything's fine. It's a really solid mood setter, but it is all about her lyrics and her voice and just the journeys and the stories they tell. And it is, it's really quite brilliant. Um, they're really, really affecting. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think the comparisons to Julian uh, Baker are pretty pronounced, especially on the opening track, Smoke Signals, which is like a spare guitar thing. But then she does things like Motion Sickness, which I think is a perfect like radio rock song. If it had come out in the 90s, it could have been a huge hit. Now maybe it's a bit it's not quite as in fashion it's a very straightforward chugging guitar song with a really really catchy chorus and good lyrics like it's i get emotional motion sickness uh somebody roll the windows down i mean it's just so catchy and um i played it in the car when i was in florida and it sounded so perfect for driving down the motorway in the sun and then she has connor Oberst duetting on a track which is nice yeah as you say it's Lyrically, it's amazing. Musically, it's not. It doesn't have Julian Baker's kind of sharpness or um, spareness that kind of really highlights that lyrical presence. Uh, there's a lot more like built up around her voice on this, which kind of takes away maybe a little bit from what's going on in the lyrics, which is unfair. But that's just the way we hear music these days. You know, when we're listening to so much, uh, you need to do something to stand out. I guess but no this album is really good uh, I don't know why it's called Stranger in the Alps though uh, Loneliness Loneliness and what's up well, with the front cover is it, is no, like, I really like the front cover actually it's like an um, outtake from a ghost story yeah um, well, it's, it's like a copy just like a really quite pastoral lovely photograph of them in the field and then a ghost painted over it which I don't know I, I, I sort of figured into a sense of like isolation or it could just be a really pretty image, which I'm, ha- I'm happy with either. Um, next up, we have the new album from Daphne, Jolly Mai. Yeah, which was a surprise release. When I reviewed the Fabric Live 93 mix, which we also discussed a couple of episodes ago, I, I, I theorized about whether the songs were ever going to be released in a more definitive form. And, you know, a few weeks later, Dan Snaith goes and suddenly drops Jolly Mai, which has 12 tracks, 11 of which were on Fabric Live 93, and the 12th was on Fabric Live 94. Uh, but now we have them in full five, six-minute format. And, uh, yeah, it's nice. It's really good listen. It's an hour long of just really tasteful, uh, fun, inventive techno with kind of different twists on it what do you mm. you've listened to it probably more than i have yeah i've listened to it a lot i fucking adore it i like this like this is going to be like a contentious thing now but i i think just from the exhilaration and from the creativity on this record i think it's the best thing dan snaith has done um for also, those who don't know yeah. at home dan Stan snaith is also caribou so that's a huge statement to say yeah. that this is better than swim and our love not yeah. to mention the things he did as caribou before that yeah 
and also his uh, initial Daphne album, Jao Long, which I do think is also incredibly underappreciated. I think this one but, is better than Jao Long. Yeah, it's better than Jao Long. Um, well, I, I have I, I have an article coming out in the 4 or 5, probably later next week, which will be... I may, there's a good chance it'll be up by the time this is out, in which I make up a, a critical point about the stigma attached to dance music compared to more cerebral electronic or uh, music and just in music in general which curious to know what the response to, to that will be like and uh, which i use daphne and caribou as the primary source of comparison but but julia my is i just think is so inventive you look at a song like hey drum zing tang and then um tin and uh, even like um, face to face and stuff like that. There's there's such a diversity and just there's there's such a there's so much going on here. It's 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 brilliant and it's it's so uplifting and the peaks and troughs that go on. Uh, he's such a genuine auteur of dance music. Like he just nails it without like there's so far too many albums just flow by whereas Jolly Mike just pops out at you like every 30 seconds or so it's just magnificent yeah even when you think the tracks are kind of full up to the brim he adds another element in, just slides it in and it could be something like African tinged or very futuristic sounding and mm. it just sounds amazing this album I first heard it when I was in Florida and I didn't have good speakers there I only had a small speaker in my headphones so then we went to see him perform him DJ at Corsica Studios on Sunday night and he played a lot of these songs and hearing them on that sound system compared to what I had been hearing them on, I was just like I think when Tin came on, like my stomach fell to the floor, like the bottom came out. I was like, Holy shite, where did that come from? And Hey Drum was, and uh yeah. I mean, and the whole the whole set was amazing. I mean, we talk, we talked about his fabric set, and uh, this one was just as good in a in a different kind of way because mm. it was a Sunday night, and we it started at nine o'clock, and uh, kind of built up to the techno. At first, he was mm. playing a lot of soul kind yeah. of things, and then he he, yeah. he just without breaking a sweat or breaking stride, just managed to build up within two hours to these full on slot techno songs from Jolly Mai that was mixing him. It was sublime it was it was also ridiculous because i was there basically on coffee like, yeah. and, uh, like i had i had like two beers when i was in there and that was basically it. and i had the best like the most brilliant time it was it was partially due to the corsica's sound system is brilliant yeah and also because like daphne is a god anyway yeah. um but Liter- yeah like, literally hey, daphne hey, originally was a god yeah that's true, that's true. <laughs> yeah so that, and there we are that that was entirely deliberate So we move on now, where it's been a long pod, uh, to Caitlin Aurelia Smith, the kid. Yeah, who Caitlin Aurelia Smith kind of, I think she's been around for a while, but she came to my attention and probably most people's attention last year when she released her solo, her solo album Ears, and then she did a collaborative album with Susan Chiani called Sunergy, 
and both of which are amazing. And now she brings out the kid, which is, I I think it's um, simultaneously her weirdest release and also her most accessible because it's got straightforward pop songs with choruses and really catchy vocals, but then it's got so many weird kind of extraneous sounds, tickings, whirrings going on. It sounds like being in the in the heart of a robot or something as you listen to it. There is like a an underlying um, concept to it where it's supposed to be the life cycle of a human in four phases from childhood to whatever, but I honestly haven't really delved into listening to it like that at all. I just take it as an album and it really it really works. Like uh, it's she sings a lot, but the synths on it, uh, she uses a vintage booklet synth both in traditional ways and in ways that a lot of it sounds like walking through a rainforest or something with birds and things like that, but there's no no field recordings. It's all made on synth, and she's made them like chirping and whirring and buzzing, and uh, it's just such an unusual but really immersive and enjoyable album. Um, have you got into it much? I've only listened to it once, to be honest, but I did really, really enjoy it. Um, like, uh, obviously, it's a hugely ambitious coms- concept, and I'm not sure whether the distinctions are invoked as explicitly as they might be, but I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Yeah, that's why I, I completely ignored that. Like, I didn't really even know that that was part of the concept of it until I started reading reviews, and then I was like, I'm not even going to bother to try and listen to it in that way. I'm just going to keep listening to it as songs. I think it's better to be more um, just lying there than to be like too explicit or conspicuous like if it's just heavy handed there's going to be a real bore yeah. so I think it's better if the album just washes over you than the the inverse um, but it sounds great like it's like the, the actual production of it is fantastic the um, very rich and textured without being overbearing yeah the final song to feel your vest uh, is one of my absolute favourite songs of the year it's so poignant and beautiful and only after I read about the concept that I realized that it's about death and I kind of like it on one way but uh, I mean the main chorus was just like one day I'll wake up and you won't be there and I now that I know that's about death it makes it much less exciting for me so I don't I kind of ignore that and just think about someone who you miss a lot and will one day come back to you or something I don't know this has got this kind of whimsical feel the whole album does but especially that final track to feel your best it's amazing and I like I really like the names of the tracks on it. Mm. I, like I am a thought is the opening track I am the world but not of the world to follow and lead um, she, I mean there's this one side of it where she's going for these haughty ambitious things and then you listen to it and it's just a really pleasant pop songs with weird sounds and that's the way I like to listen to it. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm completely on board. Like, you, you do you, you do you, for various people. Yeah, we saw her at field day playing one of the biggest tents uh, at the early in the day, and it was a really nice opening. Hopefully, I'm going to go see her at Scala next month. It's going to be completely different. I feel so. I'm quite intrigued to see what that will be like. Uh, last album we have is that one we both. I think we'll say pretty much love yeah um alex lahey's i love you like a brother Leahy, apparently okay I, when alex i spoke Leahy. to her she said alex Leahy, but i thought it was alex lahey as well uh yeah uh just uh, they mentioned this in the pitch review as well it's hard to describe this up without mentioning the word fun because yeah. that is exactly what it is it's just straightforward rock and roll 
really catchy, really relatable lyrics, like quite uh, devastatingly honest in places, but mm. just zips along so quickly that you just get caught up in it and has some chant along choruses, has some like really poignant moments um, and just... It's full of love, this album. Yeah. That's the main thing that I take away from it. I mean, it's called I Love You Like a Brother, which is named after the song, which is dedicated to her brother. But beyond that, there's a lot of relationships. There's a lot of talk about self-love, about her mom, uh, things like that, about um, loving or not loving Perth, as might be the case in mm, one of the songs. Yeah. Um, what do you think? <laughs> yeah, I I worship this record, like huge fan. As you say, it's normally fun, yeah, it's just it's, it just is it's just really 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 fun. It's relatable. It's earnest. I it's ironic in a good way. It's very wry, very self aware, but I'm very earnest at the same time. Um, you on Twitter, you highlighted the lyric: "Is this blood on my hands, or is this just red wine?" Yeah, and I adore that lyric so much, which I think it kind of epitomizes the it album. Does. And it's way. it's just that, like the idea that. That sort of like serious message, the idea of like, oh, like when you're in your mid twenties, life can be a bit shit, and you don't know what's going on. But at the same time, it's not none of it really matters too much, and you're having a a great time doing it. And like the idea that you can go be bad, you genuinely can be smashed after a night out, have a great night, wake up hungover as fuck, and you look at your hand, and. <laughs> just ask that actual question (laughs) it just works so well on so many levels it's like it's like this the simpsons rake joke with sideshow bob with all the rakes but just on like seven different levels it works um are there really that that many levels to the rake joke okay sorry okay (laughs) slight digression okay you have slapstick where he's just getting hit in the face (laughs) with a rake repeatedly which is fucking hilarious you've got the um conceptual humor which is the idea that, like, throughout the narrative... Well, no, you've got the narrative humour, in which case he's consistently being thwarted yeah. in his thing with, with his part, which is obviously very funny. Then you have the conceptual slash existential humour, where, like, throughout his entire life, he's just been thwarted at the most basic, trivial things. And, yeah. like, it's just... I, there's just constantly rakes. He's just getting constantly hit in the face <laughs> with rakes. And that's just, like, his existence is just getting punched in the face the entire time. Uh, which is but that lyric works on a similar level and then but it's like it's also the diversity of the sounds yeah so you've got the, the title track is like surf rock in a way it's, yeah. it's like really just quite jumpy and like the, the the way the um the melodies weave within each other yeah when uh, i interviewed her she said she tailored that song because it's about her brother she tailored it to what she thought her brother would like so i guess oh, we nice. know we know uh what her brother likes and so music. waves and like yeah, uh, beach slang and yeah, stuff, stuff like um that. uh and then others are more pop punky some are quite maybe more traditionally indie rock yeah um there's and then towards the back half of the album she we talked about this in the interview as well she said that the second half has more sonic depth and mm. you can hear like this yeah, like, yeah. doo-wop lyrics in in songs like i want you mm. uh and then there's no money has is a really slow ballady kind of outro um, there's a backpack that has the kind of horn outro where mm. she plays her own sax as well as a bunch of other um, and yeah it's fantastic yeah I, I, one of the best feel good albums I've had I've heard yeah. this year you just you just feel elated after listening to it 
I can guarantee um, this will be in the underappreciated column yeah. coming the end of the year. Yeah, probably. I, I, there may be a slight chance that actually enters my top albums, but then I'll have to clear it, and they'll probably be pushed out because there's loads I've forgotten about. It's too hard. Yeah. You always think like I have fifty albums in my top twenty albums this year. <laughs> you know? It's that's, just impossible. That's mathematically incorrect, <laughs> uh, as we'll find out later. So yeah, that's that's a good solid hour on albums of the past three weeks. So yeah. a lot of good albums, a lot of good albums. Yeah, I mean, um, and there's so many more we could mention, like yeah. Kamasi Washington's new EP, his mm. album, Blue Hawaii, Chelsea Wolf, Godspeed You Black Emperor, Ben Frost, who I saw last night. Probably more that we're forgetting. Just it's been ridiculous. That's what I'm telling you. It's conspiracy. End of the year, they yeah. put them all out. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Well, they they host their own fucking two-hour-long podcast then, if they wanted it. Um, so, but we'll move briefly on to. There's not been a great number of articles that like jumped out as as essential, but we've had to. Um, days continue their excellent excellent run of producing really interesting, well-written pieces with, and finding um, interesting people to talk to as well. Yeah, yeah. Whereas in in this case they talk to the visual artist who collaborates with Apex Men on his yeah. live show as well as people like MIA and things like that and yeah. um, this was by Jack Needham on Days as you said uh, I find it interesting because this is probably the most understandable and insightful input to Apex Twins <laughs> creative process that we're gonna get uh, even though he's only talking about the the visual element of it the way he says like oh when 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 richard finds something he likes he'll stick with it for years or the way that he says how they collaborate like he's he's not good at kind of communicating what yeah. he's going to do in his live yeah. shows at all so, so the visual guy just has to kind of make it up on the fly um what else does he talk about oh i i really like that that stuff is that because he's so poor at communication and it's so abrupt and like um yeah it, it's, it's so much of it is about like we should mention that the artist's name is Weird Core. One word. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's it's just interesting that they've spent so long together as well. Yeah. Since was what was it since was it before Window Liquor? Uh, no, I think it was after Window okay. Liquor. But yeah. But like the the whole like collages thing, the very like um, vibrant, quite disorienting um, imagery they use. Which was quite apparent the field day. Like the field, like we we've said before that the field day is probably as field day set is probably the best gig we've been to this year. Yeah, and after reading this article though, I was kind of disappointed that I hadn't spent more time focusing on the visuals because I was just too into the music. Yeah, but it seems like he puts a lot of work into the visuals and the gifts that they've got on the article really illustrate how fucking weird it is. Yeah. You said you went back and rewatched the stream of the gig and it wasn't yeah. that pleasant. It wasn't pleasant. <laughs> I, I, I was just saying when you actually because they do there's a lot of crowd footage and you do not want to see what crowd footage looks like. <laughs> an Apex Twin gig it will ruin your uh, 
but that was the that was the peak of summer. That day was just so perfect. Everyone was up for it. It was just yeah. like a, a fucking huge build to Apex Twin, and everyone was on it when it came time. It was <laughs> that amazing. is that is the that is the uh, important term on it. <laughs> it was the uh, it was do not do not watch that video. Um, <laughs> listen to it. Yeah, listen to it, and also read this article. It's really interesting and uh, quite compelling, and into his, uh, the mindset and his relationship with one of like the most compelling artists of our time yeah that's um, weird cool yep um we'll, we'll link to it in the show notes and the last thing the last article and the last thing we're going to talk about this week is a piece on punk music and trump which we alluded to earlier yeah um, it's on vulture yeah by craig jenkins yeah and he's talked about three punk albums that have come out recently. The World is a Beautiful Place, which we mentioned, Proto Mata, which we mentioned, and also Propagandi, who I haven't listened to. But after reading this, I'm kind of interested to listen to them. I didn't realize they'd been around for so long because I know they were on Hassle at the time when I used to intern there. But for some reason, I could have taken like all their CDs for free, but I never did. I kind of always thought they would be too heavy for me. Or maybe I just hate that band name so much that I didn't want to listen mm. to it. Have you ever listened to them? What propaganda? Yeah, uh, I've listened to some of their stuff. Um, one of my like really really good mates who effectively got deported to Colombia because Theresa May increased the income threshold for non-EU citizens. Well, oh. uh, he he's a massive like he's one of his three favorite bands are Propaganda alongside Mountain Goats and the Gaslight Anthem. Interesting, Interesting three. Yeah. Um, but like he he's always like probably trying to shove me into it um like they're, they're I, I i've not listened to this album yet um but i like i've i've liked her stuff in the past her st- their stuff in the past has always been very political yeah but anyway craig jenkins article it brings up the interesting question what do we want from punk music in a donald trump world yeah and i think proto martyr they when i asked him if he thought it was a political record he said not any more than any of the others and i don't think there's any that directly aimed at trump in this one maybe male plague you could definitely say there's elements of trump in that but he that was more about kind of local politics and also just a lot about fan- fantastical kind of stories that don't have anything to do with the real world uh Whereas the world is a beautiful place is very much a, a, a Trump punk mm, album. Yeah. Like we mentioned before, how he's dedicated Fuzz Minor to him. But even beyond that, I mean, we brought up a lot of these themes already about he talks about being a foreigner in America, and um, and yeah, uh, like how businesses, how can they still? function when when they're obviously siphoning money from people and how can it still be a country when the states aren't united and things like that so these are the kinds of statements you want to hear from a punk album in in 2017 i think i mean uh, do you think there's been any others that have come out this year that are worth mentioning mostly it's been rap that has tackled this and which is another thing you brought up in your eminem piece yeah yeah i do think like rap is the seminal political music at the moment yeah because, because it has people are the most i mean are amongst the most maligned in the yeah, current yeah. political climate yeah. probably yeah and uh, like that, that the whole thing like marginalization breeds urgency and necessity and, yeah. and that sort of way where it's inevitable going to be which is why to some extent the eminem 
rap sounds so rings so hollow is because there's nothing on the line for him. They can do it. It's the same thing with like um, for a like Saturday night comedian to just impersonate Donald Trump. There's nothing on the line for them. Whereas if a, a local black stand-up comedian was to go up there and just say this, this is racist bullshit. He will be saying something. Yeah. And and, and, and as we've seen with like even people that you might not think would be touchable like nfl stars like colin kaepernick yeah. how, how they because he's black and because he tried to protest now he doesn't have a job uh so yeah so anyway bringing it back to punk the, my problem with this is punk is more than just a genre now it's an ethos and i would say people like vince staples and kendrick lamar are punk yeah the way they talk about uh trump and politics and uh racial inequalities and things like that whereas yeah it's harder for what what male white guys making what is traditionally punk music to be as political which is i guess why the world is a beautiful place really stands out but obviously even david bellow is not a, like he's a he's a second generation american so he has that kind of perspective on it yeah so what's also quite interesting last week's talk house podcast was between tom morell and chuck d and they were talking about the discrepancy in political music now compared to then and they were saying the democratization of technology and the internet has enabled so much people to say what they want in that vein but there people choose not to listen to them because the idea of politics is abrasive the idea of like political music is that it's confrontational and people don't want to listen to that because if you're listening just habitually or just casually you're not going to listen to something too abrasive you're wanting either catharsis or relaxation and it's, it's a very interesting point and Tom Morello is an incredibly lucid and intelligent guy when you listen to interviews by him. This was a really interesting interview with the two of them. And it's, it is a really salient point, is that with punk music from a Donald Trump world, I feel these it has to be a very particular set of voices that are speaking to us. So I do you I, feel like we haven't had enough this year? <laughs> I don't think we've had enough of... I don't I think we've had like good we've had good political music this year as i say with wolf parade we've had that brand of them who have been indirectly political because i feel if you aren't political with your music you either are just indiscriminately fun or you're complacent you can't just have you can't just like partially commit you have to be full-on enjoyable bangers wolf parade's version of quite subtle um, but still very personally aligned stuff or you'd go the world is a beautiful place and I'm, I'm not afraid to die alongside Vince Staples and all the rap and Kendrick Lamar and stuff where your your flags to the mast full fucking throttle uh, you know just completely direct version of political music and that's the that's the the lines we have to set for ourselves where music can't afford to not be punk in a way if it want to if it wants to ma- if it wants to matter now you you have to set the line you can't just have one politics song on your record it's either a political record or isn't but there are other important topics like one of the ones we always harp on about is mental health yeah but the, the, the and but i feel like with science fiction which is still my favorite album of the year it it doesn't have any pretension. It doesn't like allude to Trump or anything. 
has no allusions like allusions to there's no like two songs that go on about like economic or like foreign policy or anything it, that is a very singular vision which is what I mean it's the same with the Kalele album for one yeah. thing and Phoebe uh, Gillian Baker yeah well. and that they're, they're tackling their own version of things yeah Um. and I think the Julian Baker might be there's there's some politicization underneath that, but it's similar to Wolf Parade, and that's from a very personal perspective, as a personal vision. Whereas I feel if you're gonna make a record that tackles four or five different topics, and one of them is the political climate, it's gonna ring hollow and it's gonna collapse in on itself. Well, there you go. Any, any any final thoughts? Uh, no, I think that was good. Yeah, read the piece. It's a yeah, very good, a Craig, very very good article. Craig Jenkins' piece. On yeah. Culture. And if you have any suggestions of punk albums that we haven't thought of that tackle Trump and the current political situation, email us podcast at the four hundred five dot com or tweet us. I'm at temporaryism. I'm at no not that Devlin. And uh, do you have anything else to say? Uh listen to the shit ton of albums we've just recommended for the past two hours alright no uh, things to say to Michael Hand this time no not this time <laughs> wait 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 till we, what he comes back next time or what other major like uh, bridge I can burn in the interim yeah alright well we'll see you next time and we'll have plenty more to talk about because this is we're still on the tail end of people getting out of their albums yep. in time for the end of year yep. and there's loads to yep. come and I, I will have seen St. Vincent live and we'll have mass seduction to talk about, which yes, will be a nice little will. preview for the next one. There'll my, be a lot to talk about there. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to that review. What will Rob give it? Tune in to find out. Well, you don't have, yeah, I mean, you, yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, see you. Bye. Bye.